Well, good morning. Those of you who are joining us on site and also those who are joining us online, a good morning to you as well. Yes, we are excited with the response already to our support of Hope Mission. We want to encourage you to also consider how you can help with some warm clothing, uh, socks, mitts, toques, jackets, things like that. Maybe you have some lightly used or there's some some new ones that you come across while you're out shopping in the weeks ahead. encourage you to pick those up, bring them in, and we want to help those who are in desperate need of those in the days ahead. Uh, as you saw you, when you came in this morning, it was just starting to snow. So there's a little reminder <laughs> that, uh, that, uh, that there's a great need for that coming very, very quickly. Well, we are nearing the end of our series on Moses, where we've been looking at some of the significant events in his life and the lives of the children of Israel that he was used by God to help bring out of slavery into freedom. And throughout the last number of weeks, we've been walking almost kind of chapter by chapter through the book of Exodus. But today we're going to jump out of the book of Exodus into the book of Numbers. Now, I'm going to guess that some of you have probably tried to read the book of Numbers in the past, and you got a chapter or so in, and you thought, man, that's a lot of numbers. And it's true. There's a lot in there. At the very start, you begin with a, de- with a detailed census. When you get through the census, you come to numbers about how they were to arrange the tribes around the camp when they stopped. And then you get into numbers relating to all of the sacrifices and the offerings that were brought to the tabernacle. And it's true. In numbers, you get a lot of numbers. But you also get a lot of really important stories and lessons as well. For example, the one I want to focus us upon today. And it's this. That when God makes a promise... But an obstacle or a hardship appears on the path, we face a choice. We can allow that obstacle or challenge, that trial, to bring fear that overwhelms us and steal our hope. Or we can choose to stand strong in the face of adversity and trust God against all odds. It's the question that we see in the story we're going to look at today. And as I was reflecting upon that this week, I was reminded of a story that I encountered a couple years back about a pastor who was telling this story about his son, Aaron, who, like a lot of us, went to summer camp. And now at summer camp, if you've been to camp in the past, you're familiar with the idea that in the evenings you kind of gather around a fire. And as you're gathered around the fire, you start to talk. And the talking eventually turns to stories. And if you went to a secular summer camp, the talk and the stories around the fire in the evening at a secular camp eventually turned to scary stories. They they turned to ghost stories, and those ghost stories can give the kids nightmares. Well, fortunately for Aaron, this wasn't a secular camp. This was a Christian Bible camp that he was sent to. And so they didn't tell stories about ghosts because they didn't believe in ghosts. Instead, what they would do is they sit around the fire and they would talk about demons and Satan. (laughs) which probably is worse. And so when Aaron got home, he was terrified to go to bed. Just terrified. He was scared of the dark. He He was scared of every shadow. Every little noise would make him jump. And so his father was tucking him into bed at night. He said, Daddy, don't turn off the light. Daddy, stay with me. They told these stories about demons, and I'm afraid. And then Aaron asked his father, Daddy, would you pray for me that I would be safe. And as this pastor tells the story, he says he could feel it starting to happen. He wanted to tell his son, son, they're not real. You have nothing to fear. But as he thought about those words, he could start to feel it descending upon him and his son. This, this kind of this warm blanket Christianity 
started to wrap around him. And so he said, no, son, I will not pray that you'll be safe. I will pray that you will be dangerous. I will pray that you will be so dangerous that demons will be afraid of you. And Aaron thought about that for a second. And his face changed from fear to confidence. And he said, okay, dad, all right. But would you pray that I would be really, really dangerous? (laughs) You know, the older we get, our fears don't go away. They just change. Rather than being fearful or being paralyzed by tales told around a campfire, instead the anxiety and the sleeplessness comes from stories about relationships and and security and finances and health and retirement and, and, and the lot of loved ones in our lives. And in these moments, people of faith are prone to cry out to God in prayer. It's a common thing that happens for people of faith. And, but what do we ask for? Well, if you're anything like me, in these moments where we cry out for God in these difficult moments, if you're anything like me, I had this natural tendency to pray for this warm blanket Christianity. Jesus, keep me safe. Jesus, let nothing bad happen. Jesus, remove the hard stuff from my path. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. It's okay to share those things with God. If, if that's where we're at and what's we're thinking, it's, it's fine to share those things with God. But here's the danger. The danger is that if we approach our Christian life from a perspective that nothing bad should ever happen, from the perspective that nothing bad can ever happen, if that is the only perspective that we have, we're setting ourselves up for, for disappointment because then we believe, well, God wasn't able to prevent it. We set ourselves up for discouragement because, well, God must not care. We set ourselves up for disillusionment because, well, God must not be able. There's an alternative way we can approach it, though. Is that we can accept that life with God is not immune from challenge. It's not immune from trials or from fears. Those will come our way. But our life with Christ also comes with a promise. A promise that we can trust in the Lord. A promise that we can believe with our whole being that with the power of the presence of God, we can endure and we will overcome those challenges that we find ourselves in. And that's the story of the passage you want to have a look at today. It's found in Numbers chapter 14. If you want to turn to Numbers 14, I invite you to do so. If you want to use a pew Bible, it's found on page 117. And we see here that this is the question. This is the situation that the Israelites now face. And that there's different responses to the challenge that they're in front of. And based upon the different responses lead to different outcomes. So as you're turning, let me give you a bit of context. And the context goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 15. Where God promised that he would make Abraham a great nation. That he would have so many descendants, they'd be more numerous than the stars of the sky. And that all these descendants would one day be brought into this land, this land of Canaan, the the promised land it's referred to, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land with fertile soil so they could plant crops and build cities and and live in peace with one another and that, that God would be their king and they would be his people and they would live in this beautiful, good, promised land. And then generations pass. And sure, they grow in numbers, but they never quite really settle anywhere, except they do settle eventually in Egypt. But when they're in Egypt, they become enslaved for 400 years. And the hope of this promise starts to fade. So they cry out for a deliverer. And as they cry out for a deliverer, 
they begin to see the movement of God through his servant Moses. As they go from being slaves to being free, from from being lost in the wilderness to being led by a pillar of fire, from being chased by an army to crossing on dry land through a sea, from hungry to being fed by bread from heaven, from thirst to receiving water from a rock. As all these things are happening in their lives, they can clearly see God has a plan. God's promise is still true. And it may not be easy, the path that they're walking, but through it all, they are experiencing God's faithfulness to his promise, to his power, and to his provision. And now we come to Numbers 13. And in Numbers chapter 13, after centuries of waiting, after months of wandering, they finally arrive at the border of this promised land that was promised all the way back in Genesis. And when they get to the border, they send 12 spies across to explore the land and to come back and give a report. And as they come back with the reports, the initial report is of excitement. It is a good land. It's everything we thought it would be and more. But that more is kind of what scares us. That more is there are great armies, there are fortified cities, there are giants in this land. And on the heels of this report that comes back to the nation of Israel on the border of the promised land, we see their response beginning in chapter 14, verse 1, where it says, That night, based upon this report that they just received, that night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All of the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said, If only we had died in Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, you know what we need? We need new leadership. Let's pick a new leader and go back to Egypt. The excitement upon the arrival melts away when they realize no one put the red carpet out for them. And the obstacles that they're seeing, that they're facing, threaten that warm blanket faith that they seem to think that's how it was going to go. And so the people start to lose heart, and they lose trust in God. And their fear turns to grumbling, and their grumbling turns to doubt. Their doubt turns to accusations against God. Accusations along the lines of, in verse 3, why would God do this? Why would he allow this to happen? How could we ever possibly overcome this? How how could I trust God now? And as we read this story, I can even feel it in my own mind. You're like, man, how easy it is to quickly judge these guys. How could they keep going back to this, keep thinking these things? But, But I think if we're honest with ourselves, we too can be prone to lose heart and prone to lose faith in the Lord. So I know that there's times when you, and and myself included, when we get overwhelmed, we get overwhelmed and we can only focus upon the stormy seas of life to the point where all that we can see are the wind and the waves. You know, for example, I just mentioned a moment ago that that in October, it was a hard month for finances here. We had started so strong. We had come through COVID so strong. We entered into this year with the first few months so strong. And then the bottom just fell out in October. But it wasn't just that. 
You see, over the past few weeks, there's also been this gradual increase in the significant facility repairs that we need to look after. And as we've talked about, there's a, a meeting coming up to talk about some opportunities and challenges we're facing. But the combination of rising expenses of the facility and, and, and dropping revenues, it led to anxiousness within myself. Times when I would lose sleep over this whole scenario to try and figure out how is this going to work. And I don't know how many times I prayed God, just fix it. God, just, just take it away. God, don't you know that this is taking me for more important things that a lead pastor should be worried about than a fire pump? But, but in the midst of that, what I was eventually convicted of is I, I had become so focused upon the problem that I was allowing it to steal my hope and my joy. That I had started to lose sight of how much good has been happening around West Meadows in the past, as God has seen us through so many challenges in the past, and here we are today, but also good as we find ourselves right now with a growing congregation in all demographics, with people growing in new life with Christ as they grow spiritually as well, with increased abilities and opportunities to reach our community. There is so much good going on that I had lost sight of. Are the problems we're dealing with real? Yes. Yes, we, we need things to pick up a little bit. And, and if you needed a tap on your shoulder, a reminder, this is the one. But here's what I want you to know. Is that I was convicted by this and I will not shrink back into warm blanket faith in the face of adversity. If you are facing giants in your life right now, questions like, well, how good God allow this? Or, or the what ifs of life. I encourage you to take the same stand to not shrink back into warm blanket Christianity. Because the enemy comes to discourage, to disillusion, and to make us believe that we are defeated. But we do not have to believe in the deceiver. Instead, we can stand strong in the Lord and believe that we will overcome. Amen? Amen. Because there's another way. There's another way. And as we keep reading this passage, there is another voice, another option, another path for the people to choose from. And it's one that does not lead to fear and rebellion. Instead, it leads to trust and faith in God. So we keep reading in verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole assembly. And Joshua and Caleb who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. And they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Amidst the chaos and amidst the rebellion taking place in the camp, four faithful men stand. Well, two. Moses and Aaron hit the deck. <laughs> Out of reverence and awe, they just face down to the ground, leaving Joshua and Caleb standing amongst the people. And they tear their clothes, symbolic of mourning this loss of faith, grieving the end of hope. And they make a passionate plea to the people that counters the other's reports. They begin in verse 9 by saying, don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid. Why? Because the Lord is with us. These other people, they say the land is flowing with milk and honey. We agree with them, but that is where the agreement stops. They say the people are stronger than us. 
We say there is nobody stronger than God's faithful. They say they have fortified cities. We say God is our fortress. They say the land will devour us. We say we can devour them. They say the land cannot be taken easily. We say with God it is possible. We are not saying it will be easy. We're not saying it will cost nothing. We're not saying we know exactly how it's all going to happen. But what we are saying is this, is that God has made a promise and his promises have proven true. God's power has been present and his power is unfailing. His provision has been granted. His faithfulness to these things endure. They're saying our confidence is not in ourselves, but our confidence is in the fact that we know who God is and we know what God has done in the past. And therefore we have hope for the future. I don't know if this is speaking to somebody in a situation you're going through right now, but if you know who God is, if you know what he has done in the past, that gives you hope for the present and hope for the future. I hope somebody can receive that word today in their situation. I hope that ministers to somebody today because I remember of a situation a few years back where I encountered a man at a hospital where this very scenario ministered to me. I was at a hospital doing visitation. And I went down to a test, a waiting room where tests were going to be done on this person. And I just walked down with them. I thought while they're in having the test done, I'll just sit in the waiting room and do some work. And so as I go down and wait, I'm in the room by myself. And another man comes walking in, wearing a gown. Clearly, he had just finished having some tests. And as he walks in and sits in the chair directly across from me. And as, as you do, when another guy walks in the room, you, you, you nod, right? That communicates everything. I see you. You're there. We're good. Again, the nod. Nothing else had to be said. I put my head down, back to my phone, got email, important things to do. But I could feel him staring at me the whole time. And so eventually, I lift my eyes to look at him again. And as our eyes locked, he simply looked at me and he said, they just told me I'm going to die. No, hello, I'm Michael. No, simply, they've just told me I'm going to die. What do you say in that moment? Well, I put my pastor hat on, because I have one. I put my pastor hat on, and I told him I was a pastor, and I offered to pray for him. I prayed that he would have hope for the days that are coming. And his response was, was a striking to me. He said, that's okay. I'm okay. I know Jesus. And I know I will be with him. But could you pray for my family? This is going to be so hard on them. And I could imagine that just he was so keenly aware of the reality of his situation. You could see the fear in his eyes, the, the sadness of what he was processing the reality of this. But rather than lose hope in himself, he he remained faithful to the one thing that he was firmly fixed upon and knew. That nothing could shake him from that truth. (laughs) He would not turn away from his God. Instead, he pressed in. He leaned into his relationship with Jesus, who had been so good to him in the past. Whom he was trusting in the present and had faith for in the future. Though the Israelites stood on the border of the promised land, this promise that had been made to them. God had been so good to bring them this far. And now they encountered a challenge, and they have a choice to make. Will they give in to the fear and lose heart, 
forget God and all that he has done for them, and return to bondage in Egypt? Or will they walk in faith? Will they trust in God's goodness and in his faithfulness for them? One situation, two paths, a choice to make. Which way do you think they'll go? We continue reading in verse 10. It says, the whole assembly talked about it. Stone them! <laughs> they, they decided. Then they put, then the glory of the Lord appeared to the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have performed among them, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. But I will make you, Moses, into a nation greater and stronger than they. <laughs> Given the choices, they decide that they are going to stone those who call out their sin. That's the easier option, I guess. <laughs> but then God appears, and he appears in an intense display of majesty and wrath. But he doesn't thunder against the people. Instead, he simply addresses Moses about this outrageous behavior. And in verse 11, with words of amazement, he simply says, how long will these people treat me with contempt? What's it going to take? I have parted the seas. I've brought water from a rock. I've brought bread from heaven, and it's still not enough. That's not enough for them to trust me. And if that's not enough, Moses, I don't know if they're ever going to trust me. God has reached the end of his proverbial rope, essentially. His patience is running short, and he comes down with judgment. Moses, I'm going to wipe the slate clean, kind of Moses in the flood style. <laughs> I'm still committed to the covenant promise. Still going to be true to the promise I made to Abraham and make a great nation, but I'm wiping the slate clean. We're going to start over. I'm just going to prune the family tree down to one, you, and start over. Well, Moses is not on board with this. And so he gently rejects God's suggestion. And as we see in verse 13, he begins pleading for the nation of Israel. Verse 13, Moses then said to the Lord, But Lord, then the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power, you brought these people up from among them. And they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. They have already heard that you, Lord, are with these people, and that you, Lord, have been seen face to face, and that your cloud is the one that stays over them, and that you go before them in the pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and that you are the one who put all these, if you're the one who put all these people to death, leaving none alive, the nations will have heard about this report, and they will say about you, Lord, the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath, into the land he promised them. Instead, he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Then verse 17. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you, Lord, have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness, sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sins of their parents of the third and the fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. Moses' intercession for the people consists of two basic appeals. First, there's a concern for God's reputation. Do you ever think about God having a reputation to protect he does. It's, it's different than we think it is. 
Like when we think we have a reputation to protect, we, we do it because we want to protect our reputation for prideful reasons. We want people to like us. We, we want to be, you know, cool, as they say. But Moses wasn't concerned about that. Mo- Moses was concerned not that people would think God was cool, but they would believe that he wasn't God Almighty, that he wasn't the one true God. You see, in the marketplace of gods that existed in the ancient world, there was none like Yahweh. Never before had a God done for his people what Yahweh had done for the Israelites through the signs and the wonders and the deliverance that he brought. And if God now destroys the Israelites, the nations will think that God was not able, nor was he strong enough to follow through on his word. And this is a serious problem. Think about your own experiences, perhaps. If you've ever tried to share your faith, if you've ever tried to share the truth about who God is and God's love for people with somebody. And they have this wrong idea about who God is. If, if that's their biggest hindrance, if they have this preconceived notion, this wrong understanding about God and his character, it's a difficult thing to do. Because they've been told that, that God's not good, or that he's not powerful, or that he doesn't exist. But if they have these thoughts and then their experiences match and reinforce their thoughts, man, that's that's an even harder hill to climb. And so Moses was zealous to protect God's character and his reputation among the nations for the sake of the nations. But secondly, Moses in verse 17 then appeals to the very character of which he's trying to protect. (laughs) that being God's great love and grace. And he quotes God's own words kind of against him, God's own words that we can find in Exodus chapter 34. Lord, didn't you say that that you are compassionate, that you're gracious? Didn't, Didn't you say, Lord, that you're slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness? That you're forgiving the sins and rebellions? I seem to recall those were things that you said about your character, God. And and I'm protecting your character, God. And I want to stand on those promises as well. Now, it's true, the Israelites are in a bad situation. They had been rebellious. They were lacking faith. They had been sinful. And yes, God had condemned them to death. But now Moses stands in the gap. Moses stands in the gap between them and God. And pleads for their lives. Does that remind you of Anybody? They remind you of perhaps yourselves and how Jesus stands in the gap between us and God. Stands in that divide where judgment has been sentenced because it says in Romans 3 that all people have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And it goes on to say that the wages of our sin is death. That eternal separation from God. But also that God's gift to us is eternal life as he demonstrated his love for us in this, Jesus stood in the gap. Jesus stood in the gap with his arms outstretched upon the cross and paid the price that we could not pay ourselves. To pay the price for our sins, the sins that we had committed, the price that we were rightfully sentenced to. But he stood in the gap and paid the price for us so that we too may know the compassion, the love, and the forgiving nature of God. And as it says in Romans 10, 9, that forgiveness is therefore offered to all people. 
and that we simply need to declare with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. And those who do that will find salvation in the one who stood in the gap for them. Folks, if that's the reality in your life right now, praise God. Amidst whatever you're going through, praise God. Because if that is the reality in your life, then you have the ability to experience God's love, his compassion, his grace, and his forgiveness because you've been set free from the bondage of sin. But also, you have the ability to live in the freedom of God through Jesus Christ who will not allow the world to steal your hope and your joy if you trust in the power of his presence, which gives you the ability to overcome against all odds. But if that's not the reality of your life, if you know that you've been trying to deal with the challenges of this world, the challenges within yourself and around you on your own power, I want you to know this, is that God loves you. And he desires a relationship with you and he has a plan for your life. And there is hope, and there is joy available amidst the struggles of life. And that hope and that joy can be found when you accept Jesus and invite him into your life and receive that gift of salvation. It doesn't mean he may remove the obstacle in front of you, but it does mean that through the power of his presence, he will go through it with you, and that you can endure it and that you can overcome it. If you're going through something right now, that you need some support or encouragement, I invite you to, to talk to somebody online. You can hit the prayer button online or after the service, we'll be here at the front and would love to talk and pray with you about how we can journey through these situations with you. And it is with this in mind, we come to the final section that we're going to look at today where Moses finishes his plea to God and then God speaks in return. And we see this in verse, beginning in verse 20. Where after Moses makes his appeal for the people, the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because of my servant Caleb, and in verse 3 it mentions Joseph, or, or Joshua as well, had a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring them into the land that they went to, and their descendants will inherit it. Based upon God's great love, he pardons his people. But that doesn't mean things can go back to how they were. You see, in this passage, we see that God is a consuming fire, but also has a warm embrace. He says, ten times they tested me. Ten times they treated me with contempt. We don't know if that's literal or if that's sort of a, a, a time and again, time and time again and again kind of, a, kind of a saying. But what we do know is that it was re, a repeated, repeated time of betrayal and rebellion. And even though that had happened, he chooses to forgive them. Because remember we talked about last week how, how they may have sinned, but this is part of the family model of relationship, which means he will not give up on them. He will not kick them out of the family. He will make them into a great nation. He will bring them into the promised land. But just not those who are before him. But their descendants will go in. Does that seem harsh? Maybe. To some it might. 
But here's the irony of it. Is that the punishment really fits the crime. Remember, this is the sentence that they have. But also remember the opening verse, the opening complaint that they brought against God. If only we had died in Egypt. Or if only we had died in this wilderness. And so they shall. Except for Caleb and Joshua. The Lord will lead them into this land. They believed it. And so he shall. And as the story comes to an end, we begin the story with one challenging situation, with two paths to walk and two outcomes possible. The unfaithful were not abandoned, but they were disciplined. But the faithful who remained faithful in God were rewarded. And so as I close, I ask you to consider this lesson from the story that we can carry with us into challenging times. It has been said that we are either in, entering into, in the middle of, or emerging from a challenge. That means that challenges are a part of life. If you're going through one right now, or if you're going to go through one in the future, there will always be two paths before you as well. One that allows the struggles of the situation to draw you away from God, to lose hope and joy amidst the trial, or one path you can choose to press into God. He may or may not remove the challenge. But you will experience the power of his presence in the midst of it. And you can overcome it against all odds. But here's the wonderful thing. Even if you find yourself right now on the wrong path, or you have chosen the wrong path, it does not matter how many steps down that path you may be. Because you are never more than one step away from getting back on the path with God. Because he is the one whose character is defined by love and compassion and grace and forgiveness. And I pray that we will live lives that are faithfully trusting in him and stay confident in his promises, his provision, and his power in every season of life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for those three things. We thank you for the promises that you give us in this life. And God, help us to stand firmly fixed upon those even when the winds and the waves of life want to crash upon us and knock us off that firm foundation, God, may we stand firmly fixed upon your promises. Lord, we want to trust in your provision. Lord, help us to define provision. That there may be things that we, we want, but Lord, you see fit to meet in a different fashion. Lord, things that we think we need, but Lord, your definition of needs may be different. We trust, Lord, that as you have seen us this far in our needs of life, you will continue to see us forward. Thank you for your promises, for your provision, and Lord, we thank you for your power. The power of Jesus Christ that was capable of defeating sin, hell, and death. We thank you that that power can reside within us and give us hope and give us a bright future because you are with us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.